Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up? Welcome to the Los Angeles Dodgers podcast on the Believe Network. I am J.P. Hornstra of the Southern California News Group. The Dodgers said goodbye to two of their former stars on Friday, Justin Turner and Trevor Bauer. Two different players, two very different kinds of farewell messages. Quote, leader, all-star, World Series champion. Roberto Clemente Award winner. Your time in L.A. was so impactful that a day was named after you. Thank you for everything you've done for the team, for the fans, and the city. You will be missed. Best of luck in Boston. End quote. That was, in case you couldn't guess, the message to Justin Turner that was posted to the Dodgers' official social media accounts, along with a big thank you superimposed over a picture of Turner. Now here's the statement posted to the team's official social media accounts regarding Bauer. No photos, no thank yous, just the words this time. Quote, The Dodgers organization believes that allegations of sexual assault or domestic violence should be thoroughly investigated with due process given to the accused. From the beginning, we have fully cooperated with Major League Baseball's investigation and strictly followed the process stipulated under MLB's Joint Domestic Violence, Sexual Assault, and Child Abuse Policy. Two extensive reviews of all the available evidence in this case, one by Commissioner Manfred and another by a neutral arbitrator, concluded that Mr. Bauer's actions warranted the longest ever active player suspension in our sport for violations of this policy. Now that this process has been completed, and after careful consideration, we have decided that he will no longer be part of our organization. It is impossible to conceive of two more diametrically opposed ways to say goodbye to two players on the same day. This had to strike you if you were paying even remote attention to what was happening with these two players. I think we all had a pretty good idea what the reaction would be to Justin Turner leaving. A gushing tribute video from the team, verbal pats on the back from former teammates on social media. None of that came as a surprise. I'll have Sean Green on this episode later to talk about Turner and the Dodgers' other offseason moves to this point in the winter. So stay tuned for that. Sean and I did not talk about Trevor Bauer because when we recorded it, the decision had yet to be made official for some reason. The decision itself was obvious and predictable enough that I think discussing the possibility of letting him pitch in 23 was off the table. We weren't going to talk about that. But a number of people asked out loud in emails to myself, social media, perhaps privately, Can you imagine the reaction if Trevor Bauer comes back? Clearly, the Dodgers executive team wondered the reaction if he ever came back, and they wanted no part of that. 
I had a little bit harder time imagining the reaction to what they ultimately did by designating Bauer for assignment. Because number one, the Dodgers had been eerily silent about this ever since that first temporary restraining order against Bauer was issued back in July of 2021, which feels like a really long time ago. Like the statement said, they had to abide by the protocols of the joint domestic violence and uh, sexual assault policy. We didn't know when they were allowed to speak exactly what language the team would use to tell Trevor Bauer goodbye. Would they let the DFA speak for itself? Would they say something independent of Major League Baseball? I doubted there would be a press conference, but if you're in my position, you're wondering if there's going to be time for questions. Number two, Bauer's teammates had been silent, or at least very guarded, since this process began. Last April, of course, Bauer was handed a two-year domestic violence suspension. At the time, I got an extremely short comment from Austin Barnes about that. The exact quote was, quote, We don't know what's going on. Just kind of focus on who's in here is probably a good idea. To my knowledge, nobody else in the clubhouse said anything on the record that day, and no one else who played with Bauer in Los Angeles has said anything on the record between then and now. That's always struck me as odd about this whole situation. I understand what a gag order is. It's when a team's PR staff instructs players not to comment on something. I think a lot of that was going on here. But Trevor Bauer is not part of the Dodgers now. He hasn't been all weekend, and I haven't heard anything. I also understand that Trevor Bauer is perhaps the most litigious active professional athlete of our time, and any public shows of support can and will be used as evidence in a court of law. I understand if you're a teammate or an ex-teammate not wanting any part of that. But let's put Bauer's penalty in context. There has been, at any given time since he signed with the Dodgers, a vocal group of fans willing to support him in spite of basically any questionable behavior. Bauer was unapologetic at his introductory press conference when we asked him about some of the things that we knew were in his past, like his harassment of women online. Didn't apologize for that. He was unapologetic about the circumstances that led to the temporary restraining order, and in response to the two women from Ohio who subsequently accused him of similar behavior. Some fans really like that attitude. Now, not only has Bauer maintained his innocence against the sexual assault allegations, he has sued one of his accusers for defamation effectively calling himself the victim. Look, I like to give people the doubt until I can't anymore. Trevor Bauer, or at least his legal team, did a good enough job creating reasonable doubt around that woman's allegation that no criminal charges were ever brought against him. But if all these cases are so black and white, where is the public support from the people who know Trevor Bauer? I'm not talking about his fake friends on Twitter. I'm not talking about his agents. I'm not talking about his legal team. I'm not talking about the employees of his video production company. Bauer has very much stood alone, publicly, 
amid all of this. Now, privately, I know there are players in the Dodgers clubhouse who supported him at least at certain points of time when I heard them speak. I also know that long before Bauer became a Dodger, he had a reputation as a teammate. And some, perhaps many, of his peers were not fans. That was before any of the three women came forward publicly to accuse him of assault. On Friday, when the Dodgers made this announcement that Bauer was going to be designated for assignment, Bruce R. Gratterall, Dodgers pitcher, Jacob Amaya, Dodgers shortstop, three other Dodgers minor league players, and the wife of a major league player all hit like on that social media Instagram post announcing that Bauer had been designated for assignment. Make of that what you will. But let's forget about teammates or their wives for a second. I can see why fans might not want to engage with this story at all. Because it necessarily requires that we learn things about a professional athlete's sex life that a lot of people probably don't want to engage with. And certainly the Dodgers did not want to have the dual task of selling their fans on a family atmosphere at the ballpark, while also publicly defending an employee who had served the longest penalty MLB has ever assessed for domestic violence and sexual assault. For the team, that's probably what this calculus came down to. Again, I'm not sure why they took the full time to announce that Bauer would be designated for assignment. I can speculate. But that's a pretty obvious choice in my mind. Whatever help Bauer could offer the Dodgers starting rotation in 2023 was offset by the burden of hypocrisy on the players, on the PR staff, certainly on Bauer himself. I just don't think Bauer feels that burden. I'm not sure what he feels because he's been so slow to apologize and so quick to litigate, I didn't know how the exchange of statements on Friday would go down. Maybe that's why the Dodgers took their time crafting that statement, because they knew that it could be used against them in a court of law. We knew there was no way Bauer was coming back, but how would each side handle their exit strategy? The Dodgers issued their statement at 421 Friday afternoon. That's when it hit my inbox. A bit later, Bauer issued his statement, quote, While we were unable to communicate throughout the administrative leave and arbitration process, my representative spoke to Dodgers leadership immediately following the arbitration decision. Following two weeks of conversations around my return to the organization, I sat down with Dodgers leadership in Arizona yesterday, who told me that they wanted me to return and pitch for the team this year. While I am disappointed by the organization's decision today, I appreciate the wealth of support I've received from the Dodgers clubhouse. I wish the players all the best and look forward to competing elsewhere. And there it is, that little parting shot. I sat down with leadership yesterday who told me they wanted me to return and pitch for the team this year. Always litigating the facts, that Bauer. USA Today's Bob Nightingale had the details on that. I'm just going to read from his story. Quote, 
Dodgers executives flew to Phoenix on Thursday, last Thursday, to meet privately with Bauer to decide if he deserved another chance. The Dodgers decided it was worth finding out whether he deserved any consideration of remaining in the organization. It was the first time the Dodgers had spoken to Bauer in the 18 months since he was placed on administrative leave on July 2, 2021. Dodger officials declined to go into details of their conversation, but privately revealed that they didn't hear any remorse, apologies, or anything in the slightest from Bauer to change their mind. They reconvened in Los Angeles and decided Friday that Bauer would never again put on a Dodger uniform. If you've read any of my writing, you know I like to lean into the gray areas of situations. You know I like to avoid the sappy black and white tales of good versus evil. In this case, I keep coming back to the Dodgers' two farewell messages, the one to Justin Turner and the one for Trevor Bauer. Justin Turner went out of his way for nine years to make sure the Dodgers never looked bad by virtue of anything he said or did. Trevor Bauer might not have committed a crime in the eyes of the law. It's hard to say without a trial. But he chose to litigate the intimate details of his defense against three different sexual assault accusers, not only in court, but on social media, in public. And that made the Dodgers look bad. If Trevor Bauer can't acknowledge that, I struggle to imagine someone so intelligent lacking any semblance of self-awareness. That's all I really want to say about that. The Dodgers are still on the hook for about $22.5 million of Bauer's 2023 salary. There's really no way to spin that that looks good for the Dodgers. It's bad. It was a bad decision to sign him. I don't think that's all that hot of a take. Bauer's 2023 salary for luxury tax calculation purposes is even larger than $22.5 million. And this is the year the Dodgers wanted to be under the luxury tax threshold? Well, that hurts. But what are you going to do? You're going to go back in time and not sign Bauer in the first place? Cool, let's fire up the DeLorean. Anyway, enough about him. Let's get into some off-season transaction talk. Turner, J.D. Martinez, Noah Syndergaard keeping up with the Padres. And to do that, I'll bring back Sean Green. Sean, thanks for hopping back on the pod. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. It's uh, It's been a rainy New Year so far. And other than that, I really can't say much about it because it's still new. Um, <laughs> but what we can say is also very new is a sizable portion of the Dodgers roster. A lot of changes since we last spoke. Uh, Noah Syndergaard and J.D. Martinez have signed one-year contracts and the Dodgers have said farewell to Justin Turner, Andrew Heaney, and Craig Kimbrell. I guess let's start with Justin Turner because he's a guy who we've seen a lot of over the last, boy, decade really uh, in a Dodgers uniform and it's just going to be weird seeing him as a member of the Boston Red Sox. I don't know how that'll be for you, but uh, you know, on a practical level, you talk about somebody who's had a lot of impact on and off the field. How much of a difference do you think it will make not having Justin Turner on the Dodgers roster in 2023? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sad to see him go. I think I think it'll actually have a pretty pretty significant impact, um, both on the field in the clubhouse, probably even even more so. Uh, he's he's kind of the heartbeat of the Dodgers. He's been through all of the more ups than downs, but he's been through a lot over the last um, ten or so years. And you know, the fans love him. He's he's got he's got a lot of character, a lot of heart, and you know, that's, that's something about the game that's kind of changed. I think. I mean, maybe since maybe the earlier part of my first half of my career is, is you know, guys move on more than they did in the past. You know, I remember, you know, a guy like Paul O'Neill comes to the Yankees kind of in a similar way that Justin Turner did, except he was, mm. Justin was more of a bench player, but Paul O'Neill was, you know, a, a solid player in Cincinnati comes to the Yankees and like, there's no thought of him going elsewhere. Um, mm. And, and I, I think it's, you know, just because of the nature of the game and, you know, the fact that players are a little bit more um, interchangeable pieces. Um, I think it's it's sad I, as a fan to see someone that means so much to the organization go. Uh, on the flip side, you know, Kershaw's staying. So I mean, that could have easily gone the other way as well. Sure. He ended up in Texas. But I, I think, uh, you know, to have a guy like that leave is, you know, it's, it's a bummer. Yeah, it's an interesting comp with O'Neill because I know the Yankees recently retired his uniform number and somebody who was, well, in high school for part of his Yankees career and then covering baseball on the West Coast toward the end of it, that kind of struck me as a little bit odd because from a distance, like you think about Paul O'Neill compared to the on-field accomplishments of the other players who the Yankees have retired their number, like, okay, what's going on here? But you you know, you talk about the guy that he was off the field and then the impact he had on his teammates. That makes a ton of sense. Um, I guess the one thing that I would wonder about, too, I, I think about when Justin Turner kind of became that guy in the Dodgers clubhouse, he really inherited that role from A.J. Ellis. And I was kind of surprised when the Dodgers traded him because he was really that clubhouse leader guy. And A.J. even said on the day that he was traded, like, you know, Justin Turner is going to be the next leader of this team. And I don't know if you can add some context to this, Sean, but like, is there a sense within the clubhouse among players when that torch passes where you know that you have somebody who can step into that leadership role, even if it isn't obvious from the outside of the team? Yeah, and sometimes it's perceived leadership and just um, respect. So there's different types of, um, I think, articles of clothing that someone like Justin Turner wore like he or different hats, whatever you want, however you want to phrase it. But, you know, he was definitely a leader, vocal leader amongst the players, but he was also that fan kind of leader, like the guy that represented the beard and everything kind of represented <laughs> that era of Dodger baseball. And so I think there's just different, there's different vantage points of that leadership. When I was in Toronto, we had, um, the, the change in the guard really for us was from 97 to 98. Well, one, the, Cito Gaston was the manager, and and he was let go at the end of '97. We had a new manager coming in, but like Joe Carter and kind of the last like really focal points of the World Championship teams left after '97, or you know, each year it seemed like you know Robbie Alomar left after '95, and mm. you know Ed Sprague and other guys. You know, so it's like it was slowly happening, but '97 was kind of the transfer of power, and and all of a sudden we were a young team 
with, you know, it was really like Carlos Delgado, um, myself, uh, Alex Gonzalez, like we kind of the young core that came up as Blue Jays took over. And it was a good transition and it worked out really well. It was kind of a, a younger energy and um, scrappier mentality. Um, and the Dodgers have so many, so many players um, that have had so much success, you know, whether it's someone like Freddie Friedman who came over there, um, Max Muncy, who's been there for the, you know, the, the peak stretch of the, of the Dodgers success. Uh, so there's different players there that, that could easily step in and, there's no shortage of, of superstars. So I, I don't think it's going to be, you know, all of a sudden they're like a, a lost organization. I mean, they're, they're still, you know, the Dodgers and, and the class of baseball, but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely going to be, a, I think a big shift seeing JT leave. Yeah. And, and fortunately he won't be in the NL West. He'll basically be as far as away as you can get from the NL West. If we had to see him a bunch of times uh, in 2023, wearing that Red Sox uniform, that would be a little bit different, but um you know, speaking of the Red Sox, it, it was coincidental somewhat that the Dodgers brought in J.D. Martinez, who will, I think, in effect, be the primary D.H. in 2023, which Justin Turner probably would have been in 2023 had he re-signed. And when I think about the two of them, they're actually similar in, in a lot of ways in that, you know, they came up um really not necessarily expecting to be the players that they became, but they changed their swings. Uh, they, they put in some extra work. They made these mid-career adjustments and became two of the better hitters in baseball, um, at least in their prime. And from what, you've, from what you know about J.D. Martinez, um, I know he's coming off of somewhat of a down year by his standards in Boston, but I, I think on the field at least, that's probably no worse than a lateral move. I don't know. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think if I would rather have, I'd rather be the Dodgers getting JD here than the Red Sox getting JT from the perspective of, I think they're both, they're still, they still have, you know, pop in their bats and, and still have the ability to put up good numbers. But I think the fact that JD played a long time in the NL West, um, there's, when you go to a, the other league, like JT's, never played I guess he played a little bit with Baltimore early on but he doesn't really have the same comfort level walk it's even weird things like what hotels you stay at the same hotels and the restaurants you eat at and and getting knowing how to get into the different ballparks like the, the access points and all these little things they sound kind of stupid but when I first came to the Dodgers that that first year it was my sixth season in the big leagues I felt like a rookie again in some aspects because I didn't know anything. I was like, hey, will you go with me in a cab to get to the stadium? So I don't know how to get in. I don't know who the clubhouse guy is. And so all this type of, uh, all this type of um, kind of first time experience is, is kind of weird. So I think for JD coming to Dodgers, he, he he's going to fall back into those old uh, memories and patterns of when he played for the Diamondbacks. And uh, I think that's, that's an advantage uh, to come back, even though the pitchers are, are different. The teams are all very different. The managers are often different. Um, he's still going to have that familiarity. Um, and that, I think that's an advantage. J.D. Martinez played only 62 games for the Diamondbacks in 2017, but I'll never forget it because that was enough for him to actually finish 14th in National League MVP voting. He just had that much of an impact on a pretty good Diamondbacks team that year um, that I can't quibble with 
some people who put him at the at the back of their ballot. I mean, that was Pete J.D. Martinez. He hit three, looks like 302 there and hit 29 homers in 62 games. So not only is he familiar with the NL West, but he, he did pretty good the last time he was in a, in a yeah, National that's League funny. As you were talking about that, I was, it made me, I was thinking he was there longer. I thought he was there after because he was, he had you know, such an impact on that Diamondbacks team. Um, but you're right. Yeah, it was pretty brief. So, um, you know, maybe there is, maybe there is going to be a little bit more of a learning curve. I don't know, but um, clearly it wasn't an issue for him before. And, and, you know, he's, he's at that age where you, know, you have both, both guys, you have a, a rough stretch a couple of weeks or a month and, you know, the, the media is quick to point out he's, he's getting old, he's over the hill, he's about to be down, like all that type of stuff happens really, really quickly when you're um, the ages that these players are. So that's another kind of challenge to, to constantly battle for the, you know, the last few innings of your career, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Boston, especially, they can be a little bit more <laughs> critical than, than the average market to say the least. Um want to shift to, to Noah Syndergaard, who was a guy I saw a fair amount last season pitching for the Angels, and he was okay. Um, you know, he had still the ability to compete um, with, with what he had, even though his fastball wasn't quite where it was when he was uh, peaking earlier in his career with the New York Mets. Uh, Noah Syndergaard was somebody that the Dodgers looked at at last season's trade deadline. Ultimately, they opted to go with the pitchers that they had, but they revisited that idea here and, and signed him to a one-year deal. Um, I think the big thing for me, Sean, is that he's going to be two years removed from his Tommy John surgery and last year, his first full year back. That first year, it, it never quite goes as well as year two, all other things being equal. And I, I don't know if this <laughs> quote about everything the Dodgers touching turning to gold uh, is as relevant as just his elbow being healthier. I don't know. What, what, what's your take on Syndergaard uh, joining the Dodgers rotation? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Having that, that extra year away from the Tommy John, I think that'll be good. You know, it's, I think if, if I'm the Dodgers, my perspective on that is, you know, we have some really good starters and, you know, we're not as deep as we were in the past, but um, we still have, you know, Bobby Miller sitting there in either AAA or, uh, maybe maybe then big leagues has a great spring or someone gets hurt or something. So, um, but I, if I'm the Dodgers, I'm thinking, okay, I want this guy to to give us innings. You know, to go out there and get through the lineup twice, which is really their their philosophy for the most part, and and hand the ball over to a, a solid bullpen. So, you know, is he a kind of guy that could do that with the stuff he has, even now or even last year? And, and I think the answer is yes. Um, are they, do they need him to come out and be a, a number two or three? No, but if he could be a really solid back of the rotation pitcher and and just go out there and compete, then you know that's what they're that's what they're wanting. If he could do more than that, then then it's a home run. And they've shown before that they are able to bring guys in and have them move from that give us innings kind of guy to a you know guy pitching an all star game, and that's. That's the ultimate, but I don't think that's you can't you can't have that happen every time every year where you bring someone in and they completely resurrect their careers. Yeah, well, you mentioned the bullpen there. 
I think Dodger fans probably took it for granted that the past two seasons, their closers have been guys who ranked number one and number two among all active pitchers in saves. Um, talking about Craig Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen, uh, both of them have signed contracts for 2023, so they're off the board. The, the Dodgers will have a less established closer next season, whoever he is, um, that much we know than, than whoever it was, at least at the beginning of last year. Um, Daniel Hudson's in camp. Uh, he's healthy. He's got a chance to be somebody who could fill that role, who, who has done it in the past. But more likely than not, most of the guys who are going to be vying for that haven't done it before. Um, I, I don't know if that's going to be the Dodgers' plan, is to let guys compete for the ninth inning uh, or if they wind up making a trade or, or I don't know. There just aren't that many established closers left on the free agent market. So it's January 5th as we sit here today, Sean. How big of a deal is that? And is that something the Dodgers you think will make a focal point of their last so six weeks before spring training begins? I I don't think they're going to make it a focal point. I, I think, um, I, I think they'll, my guess is that they'll assess more in spring training and, um, and just let, let some guys compete. I, I hope that they go more with kind of blocking someone into that role as opposed to doing the committee. Um, but you know, different, there's different philosophies and I just liked as a player having, um, the confidence as you get to those last couple innings, knowing that you have a guy coming out that's, you know, that you believe in and that can handle that, that ninth inning. Um, Cause I feel like it lines the rest of the bullpen up much, much better, but we'll see. I mean, I, I they have some good arms out there and, you know, we've, the Eric Gagne stepped up in, in 2002, you know, he was, not the closer coming into spring training. We didn't really have a closer. I think it was, they were kind of leaning more towards Matt Hurgis. Matt Hurgis ended up getting mm-hmm. traded during spring training for Guillermo Moda to Montreal. And Moda became a great setup guy for us. And Gagne was Eric Gagne. And, and that was those Oh two Oh three were the best bullpens I've ever seen. And we didn't really have it all sorted out going to spring training. So there's, there's definitely, um, talent there. And, and if there's something lacking and we know the Dodgers will go out and get what they need, whether it's, you know, during spring training or the first few months of the season. Yeah. The other sort of trend is that has come along with committee uh, closers by committee is that sometimes I, I see the Braves do this a lot, actually, is they'll have a kid who is knocking on the door at the big leagues at AAA, but he's a starter at that level and they'll bring him up as a reliever in, in, you know, his first cup of coffee. And sometimes that goes so well that that kid will be pitching the ninth inning, maybe not every day, but at some point. And part of me just wonders in the back of my mind, if Bobby Miller isn't like the best option at the end of spring training. Um, you know, Eric Gagne, you mentioned him, he was a starting pitcher at the big league level first, but if all things break, like the Dodgers could go that route and it might not necessarily be Miller. It might be Ryan Pepio who has a pretty good fastball change of combination. Um, it might be somebody uh, who hasn't made a big league debut yet, or, or even somebody like, uh, you know, Michael Grove um, who, who has, but hasn't really established himself. Um, 
the Dodgers could get creative in that way. I don't know. I don't know if that works uh, or <laughs> if that's something that you've seen work or, or fail personally, Sean, but I, I, I have that in the back of my mind as something they might do. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some guys that have that mentality. Like Gundy was was clearly one of them. John Smoltz, you know, even though he was mm. had a long career as a starter before he became a closer, uh, I, I think some some guys just have trouble um, switching because they like the routine of being a starter and, and the schedule of when you throw and and when you're completely off and it's hard for them to get get hot each night or, you know, three out of four nights or whatever it is. Um, so that, I think that's a question you don't want to, you don't want to burn a young guy. Out if he's, if, if there's any risk to that based on his history, if he has trouble getting loose. So I think there's, there's more to evaluate there, but I like, I like what you're thinking. I mean, it's, it's definitely a possibility. And what's hard though, is let's say he's the closer to start the season and for the first couple of months, he's doing well. And, but then all of a sudden, say, you need a new starter because someone gets hurt, which mm-hmm. never really happens. It's really hard to stretch, stretch him back out if he's your next best option as a starter. Um, so that would take quite a bit of time to get from one inning to, you know, to five or six innings. Um, so I think that's, that's tricky. It's, it's a top prospect. Sometimes it'll be someone that is, throws really hard and is kind of a, you know, maybe a top 10 prospect, but not your, your number one guy. Mm-hmm. And they just sort of convert and like say, wait, this guy is throwing three to four miles an hour harder as a closer. And they, they switch him maybe a little prematurely before um, they've tried him as a starter. And, and I think that could be successful as well. Yeah. Interesting, interesting uh, development there uh, to see what happens. Um, I think the more uh, exciting offseason uh, of any, the most exciting offseason of any of the Southern California teams probably was in San Diego, uh, where Xander Bogarts recently signed an 11-year contract <laughs> and giving the Padres probably enough shortstops to field an entire team based entirely on shortstops. Um, of course, Fernando Tatis Jr., if he's healthy, is expected back in 2023. Um, won't be playing shortstop though. Uh, that that goes to the the man with the 11 year contract, and the Padres has had a pretty good off season um, so far. And I, I just I look back at the standings from last season. The Dodgers won the National League West by 22 games, and you know they've lost more players to other organizations than they've acquired. And I just wonder if, if fans should be nervous. The 22 games wasn't enough to to feel good going into 2023. Yeah, you know, it's it's a very different team. It's a, and you know, the Padres have the momentum of the playoffs of beating the Dodgers and you know, adding Bogarts is a great move. It's not necessarily what I would have done with that money if I I'd always you know, they, I think they have a lot in their lineup. That's they've already had a, a good lineup and with Tatis coming back it's even better than it was last year. Um and I would have added a starting pitcher or maybe even some bullpen help, but um, you're not, you're, you're never going to complain having a guy like Bogart in your lineup. He's such a pro. He's one, he, he's steady defensively. I mean, he's, he's a great, great guy to have on that team. So they're a lot better. And, and the Dodgers are, I wouldn't say they're going the season a better team than they were last year. Uh, I think it's, it's, that'd be a kind of a tough argument because they were so good and they did lose, yeah. you know, some, some key bases, but, you know, I, I think the, the division is going to be tighter, and 
Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't. I think the Dodgers are still the favorite to win the division, but I think it's really close. And yeah. it'll be good. I, I think it's better for the Dodgers in the postseason. Kind of as we've seen, you know, they they haven't been able, other than other than the one World Series championship, they've kind of gone in there oftentimes with, you know, without much to play for in September. And I think that's maybe hurt them a little bit in the postseason. So it's not a bad thing to have to fight your way into the postseason and, and kind of have that that mentality and that scrappiness um, lead, you know, for several weeks leading into the, the, the playoffs. And that's, that's, I think what you, you could, we could all hope for as Dodger fans is that they, they win the division, but it's tight and they have to earn it. And, and then I think the postseason gets, you know, all that, it just stretches it out longer. And I think it, it helps their chances. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think there's a 111 win team in the National League West uh, residing anywhere this season, at least as of today. Um, not the Dodgers, not the Padres. I will say to the Padres' credit, they did make an offer to Trey Turner. They, they threw their hat in the air and Judge Ring. And for some reason, both of those guys decided they did not want to live in San Diego for the next decade. I don't know what's up with that, Sean. <laughs> I can't say the pretty, Padres pretty didn't try. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> really a nice place. It's a really yeah. nice place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Judge is the one that you could see being a California guy, understanding yeah. the, how beautiful San Diego is and close to home and all that. Trey, it was pretty clear that he wanted to go to the East Coast. And, you know, that Phillies teams, they're they're going to be scary too. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun year. I think there's a, a lot of teams of, you know, Padres, Phillies, um, the Mets, I wouldn't, they lost to ground, but then they get Verlander. So, you know, I think a lot of teams are going to be, you know, pretty close talent wise. So, um, and the Dodgers are right there. So there's no, it's easy to say what the Dodgers have lost, but, you know, let's be honest over the last few years, they, they had, you know, just a ridiculous amount of all-stars almost at every position. So to be able to bring up some young talent, um, we'll see what happens with, with their young stars. I think that could be, you know, a real game changer, um, with Vargas and Miller, um, in particular, but there's others as well. And, and that's how you continue the dynasties. You have to keep bringing up studs from your farm system and Dodgers have done that. And I think they're going to continue to do that. I agree. Uh, they've got the best first baseman in the national league. They've got the best right fielder in the national league. I think that's, too controversial, and they have four of the five starting pitchers from the best rotation in the National League coming back. So I think that's a foundation that any team would take. Um, still could add around the edges, but I think that's where you're looking at this point. Um, who, who knows? Uh, like I said, about six weeks to go here before the start of spring training. Actually, less than that. We got a World Baseball Classic this year, so that'll be fun. That'll be something to look oh, forward to. Yeah, that's right. Um, but all, all things that we can talk about in the future, I'm looking forward to 2023 and this was a great way to kick it off. So thanks for joining me, Sean, as always. Yeah, enjoyed it. And looking forward to getting spring training going sooner than later. All right. Thank you to Sean Green for joining me on the podcast. Once again, apologies to Paul Goldschmidt reigning National League MVP and a pretty good first baseman. I suppose you could make an argument for him as the best first baseman in the National League. 
If you have not done so, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. All of those things help keep me going. In the meantime, stay dry. Be well. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.